Alas has long cautioned lawyers about investing in their clients. Today, we'll explore the ethical implications and risks presented when lawyers invest in their clients' business ventures. I'm Terry Garland, and you're listening to The Portable Ethics Lawyer. We're joined by Betsy Fahey, Senior Loss Prevention Counsel at Alas. Betsy, welcome. Thanks, Terry. Betsy, why are we talking about this topic today? Well, we're continuing to see serious claims involving lawyers who are doing business with their clients. And we've recently noticed an uptick in the number of calls we've been receiving about entrepreneurial lawyers. These are often creative and innovative lawyers. They see the potential in their clients' ventures and want to invest in this growth. And some lawyers believe they can solidify client relationships by sharing risk and demonstrating a belief in the client's product. It sounds like a win-win situation. But in our experience, it's not. Why should law firms be concerned about lawyers investing in clients? You're right, Terry. In some ways, it's actually a no-win situation for the lawyer. Doing business with clients can present a number of risks to the lawyer and her firm. For one, investing in a client can draw a conflict of interest claim. And lawyer investments in clients have complicated the defense of some of our worst claims. What types of claims are affected by lawyer investment? First, I should mention that nearly all of the claims we've seen involve transactional lawyers. So that is one group who should be alert to this issue. Typically, lawyer investments in clients come up in two different types of claims. The first is the conflict of interest claim I just mentioned. The second is an aiding and abetting type claim. Tell us about those conflict of interest claims. Whenever a lawyer is doing business with a client, there is the potential for a conflict of interest. Obviously, there is an inherent conflict in sitting across the table from the client on a transaction. Strictly speaking, the lawyer's interest is in receiving the most favorable investment terms, while the client's interest is in not giving away too much to the investors, which include the lawyer. This scenario is addressed in the model rules, which we'll get to in a minute. But that's not the only type of conflict of interest that can arise here. Another one is the personal interest conflict. Under ABA Model Rule 1.7A2, a lawyer may not take on a representation if there is a significant risk that the representation will be materially limited by the lawyer's personal interests. Investing in a client creates the distinct possibility of a personal interest conflict. What happens if the lawyer has invested in his client's venture and something goes badly with it? The lawyer will have a personal interest in protecting his investment, and this may interfere with his objectivity and professional judgment in advising the client. How does this play out in claims? We have seen this crop up in our claims. For instance, when a lawyer has invested in a client's business and then advises on the sale of that business, the lawyer's advice on the appropriate disclosures and representations and warranties in the sale transaction may later be questioned. We've also seen claims where the lawyer has been accused of turning a blind eye to the client's questionable behavior in the name of protecting his investment in the venture. Is that the same as an aiding and abetting claim? It's similar. In a typical aiding and abetting claim, the client is alleged to have engaged in some type of misconduct, like fraud. These are often claims by third parties, such as investors in a deal who were duped by a bad client. In that example, when the unhappy investors can't recover from the fraudster, they may accuse the lawyer who was involved of aiding and abetting the client's misconduct. Where the lawyer has been deeply involved with the client and has invested in and promoted its deals, it's much more difficult to claim that the lawyer didn't have knowledge of the client's misdeeds. As we say in our loss prevention manual, 
the closer the business connections between lawyer and client, the more difficult it is for the firm to distance itself from the client's wrongdoing in the malpractice case. And often, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the firm's legal work. It's the investment and the close relationship with the client that causes trouble. Anytime the lawyer has invested in a client, there is a risk that the lawyer's judgment and objectivity will be compromised. And this is a risk that holds a lot of sway with juries, who may see the lawyer as greedy and self-interested. But claims aren't the only reason to be concerned about investing with clients, right? No, that's absolutely right. Of course, if the client's business fails, the lawyer may lose his investment, as well as being left to deal with an unhappy client. But even if the business succeeds, the client may be unwilling to share the upside, despite an earlier agreement to the contrary. Or we've seen instances in which the friendly client representative has been replaced with someone less favorably disposed towards the lawyer. So the lawyer may not only lose her investment and profit, as well as the client relationship, but the firm may also be forced to disgorge the legal fees charged to the client. And there are ethical considerations as well to be taken into account whenever a lawyer proposes to do business with a client. There's a rule on this, isn't there? Would you walk us through it? Of course, there is a rule on this. ABA Model Rule 1.8a. But before we get to that rule, it's important to note this is not the only ethical rule that may be implicated when a lawyer invests in a client. We've already touched on Rule 1.7a on conflicts, among others Rule 2.1, which requires a lawyer to exercise independent judgment, and Rule 1.5 on fees could also come into play in these situations. But let's focus on ABA Model Rule 1.8a. That rule specifically addresses doing business with a client and has been adopted in some form in almost every state. But in some ways, aren't we always doing business with our clients? Yes, and Rule 1.8a recognizes this. It does not apply to ordinary fee arrangements entered into at the beginning of the relationship. Unless the lawyer accepts an interest in the client's business or other non-monetary property as payment of all or part of a fee. And it doesn't apply to standard commercial transactions, where the lawyer acquires products or services from a client that the client generally markets to others. So, for example, you can open up a personal checking account at your local Chase branch, even though your firm might do some work for J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. In addition to investing in clients, Rule 1.8a may also come into play if the fee arrangement changes midstream, or if a lawyer is entering into a loan transaction with the client. Okay, so tell us about what Rule 1.8a says about these non-ordinary course transactions with clients. Sure. Rule 1.8a provides that lawyers may not enter into a business transaction with a client, which includes investing in a client's venture, without meeting certain conditions. First, the transaction between the lawyer and the client must be fair and reasonable. Second, the terms of the transaction must be fully disclosed to the client in a writing in a manner that can be reasonably understood by the client. Third, the firm must advise the client in writing that the client ought to consider seeking the advice of independent counsel on the transaction and the client must be given a reasonable opportunity to do so. Finally, the client must give its informed consent in a writing signed by the client to the transaction and the lawyer's role in it, including whether the lawyer is representing the client in the transaction. And of course, individual state rules may have some variations on these requirements. For instance, in Minnesota, the rule clarifies that the client's written consent must be in a document separate from the transaction documents. And in California, unsurprisingly, 
there are expanded disclosure requirements, and the lawyer must direct the client to consult independent legal counsel rather than simply recommend independent counsel. So, as always, it's important to know which state's rules will apply. What are the consequences of not complying with the rule? Lawyers may face disciplinary action for failing to comply with Rule 1.8a. In addition to suspensions and reprimands, some lawyers have even been disbarred for violations of Rule 1.8a. What else? Well, in any subsequent malpractice case, I'm certain the plaintiff's expert will be more than happy to point out this violation as an example of the lawyer's failure to comply with his professional responsibilities and fiduciary obligations to the client. And as I referenced earlier, even if the client's venture is profitable, clients have sought rescission of the lawyer's investment and disgorgement of the lawyer's fees for legal services because of the lawyer's violation of Rule 1.8a. All right. So what advice do we have for firms about lawyer investment in clients? First, firms should look at their policies to see if the topic is already addressed. If not, given the risks we've been discussing, we suggest firms adopt a policy that prohibits or at least regulates this activity. If an outright prohibition is not feasible, we'd suggest requiring specific approval from the firm's executive or management committee. Policy 4.4 in the Alas Prototype Lawyer's Manual, which is available to general counsel at Alas firms, contains a sample policy dealing with this issue. Even if your firm has a policy in place, now is a good time to remind your firm lawyers about the policy and its requirements. What factors should lawyers consider before investing in their clients? Well, in addition to confirming that the terms of the proposed investment are fair and reasonable, lawyers should look at the client relationship. What is the scope of the client representation? Is it especially risky or are there other ethical concerns? Like lawyer for the deal issues? Who will be staffing the client's matters? And take a close look at the client. How well do you know the client? Investigate and do your due diligence to identify any flags as to the client's trustworthiness and financial stability. Remember, often claims in this area result from client misconduct, not from any problem with the firm's work product. And be sure to seek approval from your firm. What if the firm approves an investment? If you've taken my earlier advice, then it's easy. Follow your firm's policy. Make sure that your firm is adhering to Rule 1.8a and making the appropriate written disclosures and obtaining the required client consents. Involve your firm's general counsel or ethics partners to review the disclosures in the consent letter. Keep copies of the disclosures in the client signed consent in the client file or a central administrative file, or both, where they can be easily located and accessed in the event of any question. What if it turns out that an incoming lateral lawyer has an investment in a client she's bringing over to her new firm? That's a great question. About half of our claims in this area have involved lateral lawyers, so it is of particular concern. Whenever a new lateral lawyer is moving to the firm, the firm should ask the lateral about investments or business dealings she may have with clients. The lateral lawyer should be able to provide the firm with evidence of her compliance with Rule 1.8a. Because the lawyer is moving to a new firm, the firm should also consider how it will document the relationship moving forward and whether they should refresh the disclosure in the client's consent. What if the lateral doesn't have Rule 1.8a documentation? That could happen, and frankly, we've seen it happen with non-lateral lawyers as well. Firms should consider polling their lawyers regularly to flush out any investments in or other business dealings with clients and add all of such investments to the firm's conflicts database. 
If the appropriate steps weren't taken at the time of the investment, there's still a risk. But firms can help mitigate that risk by making the appropriate disclosures and obtaining the client's consent once the issue has been identified. And keep appropriate firm oversight on that client's matters. So for instance, if there is an existing investment, the firm needs to stay on top of this and examine whether additional disclosures and conflicts waivers are needed for ongoing or new legal work. Any other takeaways for our listeners? Yes. While the firm should certainly consider it when determining whether to approve an investment in a client, our experience has shown us that the amount of the investment won't matter much in the event of a claim. Even a small percentage or investment amount that would be de minimis for the lawyer will not appear that way to a jury. Any investment can still lead to the perception that the lawyer is self-interested. Anything else? Yes, we note that sometimes law firms themselves have or create investment vehicles to invest in clients. This might be safer than allowing individual lawyers to invest, but it is still a risky proposition. These firms should make sure to follow the ethical rules and carefully document these arrangements. And as with most concerns we discuss in this podcast, please consult with your firm's general counsel on these matters, as we have seen large claims arising out of firms' investments and clients. Great. Thanks for the analysis and suggestions, Betsy. My pleasure. Until next time, I'm Terry Garland, and this is The Portable Ethics Lawyer. This podcast is provided for educational purposes to assist lawyers in avoiding ethics violations, malpractice suits, other professional liability claims, and management liability claims. This podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. The recommendations contained in this podcast are not necessarily appropriate for every lawyer or law firm. In determining the best course of action, lawyers should consider the applicable legal authorities and all relevant facts and circumstances. Copyright 2020 by Attorneys Liability Assurance Society. All rights reserved.